0: When we understand God, we have a choice to please Him or to put the thought of, eh, I'll get right with God in the future. But the fact that we will stand by ourselves in front of the judgment seat of Christ. Christ is the one who's judging us. All of our works written, known, by our God everything not confessed will be brought up everything that we have done God will judge us I tried to find a closing song that talked about God judging us and I couldn't find one we don't sing about this we don't think about this very much and it's unfortunate because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we are to live out, Ephesians 2 says, to or Philippians 2, we are to li- work out or live out our salvation in fear and trembling. The fear of the Lord is not just a motivator of the Old Testament Israelites, it's a motivator of New Testament followers of Jesus Christ. Paul knew this, Paul was motivated by this, and he's going to challenge the uh, Corinthians and challenge them to, to, to examine his ministry and say, You can look at what we're doing and look at the other people that are ministering to you and see if they are not motivated by the judgment seat of Christ. When we think about the judgment seat of Christ, it's a very powerful motivator. More powerful than if you were stuck in a grave and someone said, There's, You're not getting out of here. It's a powerful motivator to please him. We all need motivation because there are times when we're living our lives for ourselves and we gather with God's people. We're sitting at a dining room table with our family who also are followers of Christ and they listen to conversation and they watch our reactions and they look at our facial expression. They look at how we react to the least little thing in that. Mom, dad, it doesn't look like you're trying to please Christ here. Looks like there's something else. Looks like pleasing self is your goal in life. And we need to challenge each other at home. Our good friends here at church need to challenge each other to keep pleasing him. And if your friend doesn't want to please him or knowingly you tell them God's word and they say, I don't want to do that. Okay, well, one day you're going to wish you had. Why? Because you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You will. All of us. Look at verse ten. We must all. Must all. It's not a choice. Eh, I think I'll go get judged. <laughs> no, you you must. And you don't get out of it. Every single believer is at the judgment seat of Christ one day. We must all appear. Now, this is different than the great white throne that's mentioned in Revelation 20. And so, just believers are at the judgment seat of Christ. It's mentioned two other times, 1 Corinthians 3 and Romans 14. And in 1 Corinthians 3, which was before 2 Corinthians, uh, tells us that we will receive rewards. Uh, if we have um, gold, silver, precious stones, as it goes through God's perfect judgment. If our actions... We're done for Christ, then we receive rewards. If it's wood, hay, stubble, we're probably there. Uh, adding from what we learned from that passage to what we learn here, it, God judges our motives here. In this context, if Christians don't make it their aim to please him, that's verse 9, then when you stand before God and, and before Christ, your Savior, and are judged, What has come out of your life in not pleasing him is, look what it says at the end of the verse, so that each one may receive what is due or what you deserve for what has been done in the body, on earth, in the body, whether good or evil. So God will judge us. He will judge the followers of the Lord Jesus. I believe that there is a lack of teaching on this and a lack of motivation in God's people that God is love and he will just overlook my sin like a grandfather whenever you sin against grandma and he winks and says we won't tell grandma will we and that's not how God judges he doesn't wink and allow us to live however we want after our salvation as his followers and displease him and displease him and displease him and and when we stand before him we get what we deserve, and what we deserve is a losing of rewards. There's no condemnation. We know that from Romans 8. We aren't judged in hell or get tortured by the angels or anything else that we can come up with. We lose a reward. If you've ever been a parent or at a Sunday school class, and I remember this in junior church, that the, there was a quiet seat. And our junior church teachers knew how to keep little children quiet by offering a quiet seat prize. It was like a dollar store item. And it was a big deal if you got chosen for the quiet seat. But the, there were two adults, and they'd choose a, a boy and a girl, and then they would uh, watch that boy or girl. And if they weren't quiet and didn't sit still, they would say at the end, well, I chose someone and the person I chose... Didn't and I'll talk to them after. And if you got the talk of shame after, I chose you, but you can do better. And I remember probably at least one of those times getting that conversation, and then the other time whenever you get a reward. Oh yes, and you are called up to the front, and the the leader says, "Hey, I was watching this person did a really good job, and they got a prize." It was a dollar store item. But it's a big deal when you're four, five, six, seven to get to get that. God will judge us. The reason we want rewards is what we're going to do with our rewards. We're going to give them back to Him. You want something to give back to your Savior of infinite value. Having heard Well done, thou good and faithful servant. What's a good and faithful servant do? Lives to please his master. And if we're not motivated by the judgment seat of Christ, the next motivation isn't going to help you either. Because fear is the first motivator. It's not the primary motivator, but it's the first one. And the fear of the Lord is where wisdom begins. This is where wisdom began for you when you turned from your sin and trusted Christ because you feared hell. Don't take hell out of your gospel presentation because God wants people to hear about an eternal lake of fire, and that that's their destiny if they reject Jesus Christ. It's a pretty powerful motivator. That's why Jesus tells us about it. God will judge us not as unbelievers or not followers of him. The judgment seat of Christ is just believers. So verse 10 tells us who's going to be judged here. And it says, all. Why are we going to be judged here? Verse 10, so that each one may receive what is due, or what, the idea is what you deserve, what you earned for what he has done. When are we accumulating these, either good or evil? It's what we're doing with our body. Now, we have learned how to... Be encouraged with this body and how to hold the things of this earth this body lightly and, and focus on eternal things you're right but this is the beginning of eternity for us that we are going to stand before the judgment seat of christ and each one of us if if you didn't get that we must all appear then he emphasizes that each one of us may receive i don't receive rewards for you you don't receive rewards for me or, or lack of rewards. We all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ alone, and each individually, your sibling, your parent. No one stands there with you or for you, speaks on your behalf. There's no lawyers here. There's no witnesses to call. The one who is judge knows all things and knows exactly what you've done, how you've done it, and what your reward should be, or the lack of reward. It will be perfectly just. We know in the Old Testament, the judge of all the earth will do what is right. He always does. Perfect justice is coming. We don't want perfect justice if we want to get away with not pleasing him. We stand before this judgment seat to receive what we deserve. What is our due? That's the text here. And the context, the verses around, before and after, tell us, how does God judge? He tells us how he judges based on verse 9. We will, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. And then the connection of 9 to 10 says, for we must. So there, those little connection words in the text of Scripture have to, point us back, and and help us understand the context. So God will judge good or evil. How do we know whether we're doing what is good or evil? I have a chart for you, and hopefully this chart will help. The motivations of our actions. Okay, so God judges our motivations. That's what we get at, and if you want to know motivations, why I picked that word, look down with me at the end of verse 12 that you can judge those who are be able to discern whether those who are teaching you are boasting about outer appearance and not about what is in the heart. God judges the heart. What you love, what you hate, what you desire, what you don't desire. Why are you doing what you're doing? All right, and so I have a chart here. Action. Action. Plus motive equals the result. Look at the end of verse 10. Whether good or evil. We know from 1 Corinthians 3 that we will lose rewards. And the good is going to be the gold, silver, precious stone. The evil is going to be the uh, wood, hay, stubble that's going to be burned up. It's going to be worthless. We're not going to get anything from all the actions that were motivated by pleasing self. So the action is going to be disobeying or obeying, and then the motive is going to be self or God. I can't evaluate yourself. You have to evaluate what you're doing. I can evaluate if you're disobeying, and I'm going to ask you why you're disobeying, and it could be that you don't know how to obey or didn't know that it displeased God, so you need certain things. And then the last part of the chart on the right side is going to be what you need to do as a Christian Uh, to get right with God, so that you can be on this bottom level of the chart that everything we do, uh, or much of what we do, is pleasing Him. All right, and I'll give you a a real-life story or an example. So if your action disobeys God and your motive is self, I want to be the center of attention. I want to be in control of the situation. Control is really the heart of the problem with our sin. We want control that God does not allow us to have. This is why Proverbs 3.5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. You do not have to control people, relationships, situations. And there's so much in our... as As we realize this body of clay, we're out of so many things out of our control helps us to focus on things that are eternal, where God is in complete control. And we are okay if God's in complete control. So, someone who is selfish, like a child or an adult, who is out of control, only wants their own way, and they want to control the situation with others. Manipulating others, negotiating consequences when they do get in trouble, this is a selfish person who is out of control. Not listening to authority... Not listening to the boss, doing your own thing, and expecting, eh, they they might not notice. It's no big deal. The motive is self. The result, clearly, evil. So disobedience with a selfish motive always is going to result in evil. God's going to say at the judgment seat of Christ, your life was evil when you did this and this and this. And because you were motivated by self, we'd say doubly evil, (laughs) Okay awful. So what does this require? This type of lifestyle requires repentance obviously because you're wrong and then it requires discipline. If someone in your home is living this way, their need is discipline. You cannot disobey and you cannot be in control. You need to live for God and we don't we don't allow Children, we don't allow adults to disobey with selfish motives, living evil lives in a church body without provoking them to love and good works, to repent, and then discipline yourself. You can't live how you want to live if what you're doing is evil. You can't think how you want to think and try to be in control and try to manipulate people around you to live for how you want to live. And you want to be the center of attention. You don't want to submit to authority in your life. And you're disobeying God. And you need discipline in your life. A godly friend who will come and put their arm around you and say, What you're doing is wrong. And you need to evaluate what you're doing. And if what you're doing is wrong because you're motivated by self, you're evil. I didn't say that. The judgment seat of Christ is going to say this. And what I'm doing for you is helping you to be motivated to, to repent and to get some discipline in your life and listen to godly, mature people that will not allow you to look at pornography because you're selfishly indulging your, yourself. It won't allow you to just blow up at people. It won't allow you to do things that you know are wrong because you want to be in control. And this is, this is all around us and it's in us, okay? So repent and mortify the deeds of your flesh, as Colossians 3 would say, okay? Okay? I'm not going to spend a lot of time. This isn't what the passage is about, how to do this. It's just letting us know God's going to judge us, good or evil. Second, this is a little bit different in that this is someone who wants to please God, but they don't know. Paul said this in Romans 7, I believe. I didn't even know coveting was a sin until I saw the law, and then, oh, I can't even. Here's Paul, probably as a Pharisee coveting, and he didn't know it was was wrong until he read the Ten Commandments, and the tenth one is, thou shalt not covet. Oh, I can't even want something that someone else has? That's correct. That's coveting. Okay, so, and there are people who are trying to please God with their life, but they don't either know what God expects, they have created a God maybe, or a God just going to assume that I'm just going to be pleasing to him, and I don't know a God there might be someone that is naive, they want to please God, and I wrote an example that I've heard uh, many times in prayer meetings um, and and praying with friends. They take God's name in vain, uh, using Lord or Father maybe 30 times in a minute prayer. And its they use the Lord's name or Father over and over and over again in praying, and it doesn't mean something. You wouldn't talk this way to someone if I was talking to um, John, I wouldn't say, "Hey, John, how's it going?" John, you doing good, John? Hope you had a good day, John. That sounds really odd. But when we pray, we use Father or Lord or God over and over and over and over again. I just so I, I'd say that's disobeying the second commandment uh, or the third, don't take God's name in vain. Um, but their motive in praying is wanting to please God. That's why they're praying. And there are many, many other things that we do trying to please God, and we don't know that what we're doing is actually disobeying his word. That's why as we read the word, we need to understand who God is, what he expects of us. And there are things that we uh, read and we say, whoa, just like Paul, I didn't even know coveting was wrong. And some of you might say, I didn't even know lust was wrong until Matthew 5. I didn't know it was wrong to be angry or hate someone, and that's just like murder. Whoa, okay, so we're disobeying God while we're trying to please him, That's still evil. Okay, We're not going to receive the reward that we want from the judgment seat of Christ as God wants us to receive if we're disobeying him. Ignorance is not an excuse for long. We have to know what God says in his word. And when we know what God says in his word, and a godly friend or the Holy Spirit, as we're reading it, convicts us, we're going to say, okay, I've been disobeying God. I didn't know it. I was trying to please him. Okay, my heart was right. My actions were wrong. It's still evil. So I need to repent. I need to learn. And if you're trying to please God, you're in a humble position already to learn. It's not a hard thing to learn. It's harder at the first one there to learn because you're proud, <laughs> selfish, and disobeying, and you're blaming other people or whatever excuses you're giving. Uh, this is just someone who's naive or simple hasn't been taught or hasn't thought or hasn't um, had someone confront them or talk to them. And so um, it's okay to be naive before uh, you're, you're told. What you're doing is actually disobeying God. Okay, so this is still evil. So knowledge then is, is the need after repentance. The third, so there are four lines here. And the top three, look at the result. It's all evil. You say, <laughs> well, I thought God just judged our motive. So if our motive is to please God, is God pleased when we disobey him? No, he's not. Okay, am I less, uh, if, I, if my kids disobey me and their motive is, I, but I want to please you, dad. I thought taking magic marker and writing all over or whatever, or I had one of my kids one time take a, a rock and they tried to clean my car with a rock. I'm like, ah! no, no, not a rock. It looks similar to a sponge. I know. You know what? I didn't discipline them that, for that. Because they didn't need discipline. What did they need? They needed knowledge. Okay? Rocks aren't sponges. Thank you for trying to help daddy. I'll give you a sponge next time and you can hit, oh, go to town on the side of the car. That's okay. There are a lot of things that we do ignorantly and husbands, wives, and vice versa in, in a home try, trying to be helpful and we do things that aren't helpful. And it takes humility. Yeah, I was trying to please you, but we give gifts that are awful or we do things that we just don't know or we don't do things that we should do, like not watering hanging plants when it's 100 degrees outside, those kind of things. And some one of us probably as a spouse knows to do that, and some of us don't know to do that. Yeah, you just didn't know. Okay, so that's, that's the second level there. It's still, I think, evil, disobeying. But the heart was there trying to please God. The third is obeying. This is subtle. This is, this is you know, you're doing the right thing. You're saying all the right words. You're singing at the top of your lungs when you're in worship. You've got your Bible open. You might even be taking notes, hoping mom and dad see and compliment you on, wow, you're doing really good at paying attention in church. The teacher says, quiet seat, you win. Yes. Motivation, self, I want that toy. Or I want to be seen as the good child. And I struggle with this so much. Even into college, even into youth pastoring, even now. This is a real problem for me. I do the right things as a pastor. I I know what to say. But I'm doing it to look good, so that you'll like me. That's evil. See, I'm I'm obeying outwardly. I I, I appear to have the fruit of the Spirit, but it's self-motivated. It's to get the approval of men, and Paul's going to go after that, the appearance aspect, he says in verse 12. So what does this kind of Christian need? Because I'm going to hear, you wicked, slothful servant, if I live my life on step three there. I need to evaluate why I'm doing what I'm doing. And as we help our kids with the discipline as we teach them knowledge this step here is going to require them to self-evaluate because you can't all you can't evaluate why we other people do what they do now we can assume and unlovingly assume the worst of people they're just doing it because of this you don't know that unless you're sitting with them and they say the reason i'm doing this is selfish to look good want to be the center of attention or whatever i just said so we can't evaluate someone's motives unless they evaluate them and tell us their motives. Then we can say, you know what? You're doing the right thing, but for the wrong reason. You're not going to be told by Christ what you've done is good. Actually, what you've done is evil. And this requires evaluation. Of course, all these require repentance. Why, does, why do we have repentance up there? Because all these things are evil. They're subtle evil, evil, right? But God's going to evaluate our heart. If the meditations of your heart and the thoughts aren't pleasing to God, God's word is, is what you need. It's the sword that's going to convict you to the very joints and marrow, all the way down to why you're doing what you're doing, Hebrews 4 says. So we need God's word. To evaluate us. And then as it lays us open and shows us. Whoa. I thought at least two and three might be on the good-ish side. There's no good-ish side. At the judgment seat. It's good or evil. And I want you to hear good things from your Savior. I don't want to hear good things from me from the judgment seat and hear all of you, you wicked, slothful servant, you wicked, slothful servant, you wicked, slothful servant. What? Didn't you know what you should have done? Didn't you evaluate your motives? And I, I show you this chart because hopefully it'll help you. It'll help you to evaluate yourself. It'll help you in helping other people. Because all of us, hopefully, as believers, we want to do what's right and good. You don't want to see evil. You don't expect to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and hear, You wicked, slothful servant, what you've done is evil. No. What you want is the, is the fourth one here you're obeying. And your motive is to please him. Where did I get that from? From verse 9. And then, and only then, will you hear, well done. You're obeying God. Now, none of us are perfect. We don't stay on this fourth step all the time. We go back, hopefully, rarely to the first step. But we're dabbling probably with two and three often. Because we just don't know or we just aren't careful with our evaluating and we just need to repent. But how do we stay on step four? Humility. That's it. Why is it humility? Because what's our motive on the two obviously evil things is self. It's pride. It's I want to do this to be appearing to be righteous as the Pharisees. When their heart was far from God, yeah. So your heart close to God and your actions obeying God, then it's good. And stay on, stay humble. And why did I put grace there? Because when we are humble, God gives us grace. And as He gives us grace, we keep staying humble. He keeps giving us more grace. Grace that helps us to evaluate. Step three. Grace that gives us knowledge in verse in the, in the second one level there. And then grace to help us realize our life is a mess and we are not disciplined as we should. And we've got to repent. All right, hopefully that's helpful. I'll send that to you if you, if you want. So back to our text, verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord... We persuade others. See, only believers are going to stand before the judgment seat, so Paul is only going to talk this way to believers. And he persuades. I'm sure the Corinthians, as he had been there for a year and a half, they had heard him persuade others with, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Don't allow this man to live in immorality with his stepmom in 1 Corinthians. Come on, we have to be holy as God's people. I mean, the unsaved can see this is wrong. This is evil. Why are you allowing this in the church? And they were probably on step two. They're trying to obey God, but they're are they trying to please God and showing God is, God is love. God is love. God is love. So we're going to allow this guy to stay in our church. But they're embracing him to disobey. And it was evil. And they needed knowledge. And Paul gave them knowledge. So verse 11 Fear of the Lord persuades others. But then Paul changes a little bit and says, But what we are is known to God. Paul's not saying, You guys are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, but we're, going, we're, we're not going to. That's not what he says here. He says, I'm going to stand before God too. Paul's already thought through this. He's already evaluated his life, his motives, his actions. And he's saying, Okay, I'm fine with God. And we have, you have to do that yourself. There's nothing I need to repent of. But I hope, because what we are, are is known of God, known to God. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. There are people, as you try to minister, that are going to misunderstand your ministry. And they're going to think, you're on two or three probably. And you have to evaluate yourself as I have had to multiple times when people misunderstand a ministry to them and say, no, I'm trying to get them to obey God. And I want them to obey God because I want them to please God. I'm just trying to please God. That's all I'm doing. And they think evil. that What I'm doing is evil. And I'm glad I don't stand before their judgment seat because we're standing before the judgment seat of Christ and he judges perfectly. And he will do what's right. And he will evaluate my heart. He will evaluate your heart and everything that I've done. And everything you've done. And when people misunderstand, as they probably misunderstood Paul, he says to them, in the misunderstanding here, which is discouraging, which is why this is probably part of the encouraging part of, because it's really discouraging whenever people that you love and are trying to minister to misunderstand your ministry. This happens as parents all the time. This happens as, as a Sunday school teachers, youth workers, anybody who you're trying to disciple and you're trying to help them with one of those steps, one, two, or three, and they, they get mad at you thinking you're the problem when self or disobedience is the problem. Okay, so Paul says, I hope it's known also to your conscience that okay, you can evaluate us And are we really living in the fear of the Lord? Verse 12. We are not commending ourselves to you again. As if you need to keep evaluating us and keep... And (laughs) there has been some consistency that Paul and others that have traveled with him have displayed and some relationship that has been built over years with these Corinthian believers. He says, "We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast. But well, I'm giving you a cause to boast about us. Why is he saying this? This sounds a little like boasting about Paul. Well, let me catch up to my notes here. The future motivator is fear. Do your spiritual leaders fear the judgment seat of Christ? I can tell you, from what I've observed. Now I can't see their heart. We don't have any fear-fearing uh, God detection." Technology, But the other three elders and their wives that we just met, had, had a meeting with last Sunday night, the other elders and their wives, they fear God. They fear the judgment seat of Christ. We make decisions based on fearing God for our church. You may not understand it, you may not accept it all. Um, and if you ever feel like we don't fear God here, please challenge us. Challenge any one of the elders. The better you have a relationship with them, talk to them. So he says in verse 12, we are not committing ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. So they may have gotten some false teachers or some proud, arrogant teaching after Paul, Silas, others left, Timothy, and leaders came in and said, you know what, God's not going to judge you if your actions are right and your motives are selfish. It's not not a big deal. Or, if you're disobeying God and you're just trying to please God, it's okay. I don't think it is, and I don't think it's supported here in the text. So, boasting about outer appearance sounds like they're obeying outwardly, and then the end of verse 12, and not about what is in the heart. God cares about both, actions and motives. Both of them are mentioned here. So Paul says, I want to persuade others to please him. That's at the heart of ministry. That's the heart of parenting and discipleship, what we're trying to do here as a church to other believers, believers uh, ministering to believers. And then evaluating your spiritual leader's motivation. So Paul is, is saying here, you can evaluate me. What you're going to find is is I'm trying to stay on step four there. I'm fine with God judging me. I hope you know in your conscience that we are a trusted um, teachers who are fearing God. And then you'll have some people that boast about appearance, about not, not about what's in the heart, but their evaluation, the believers evaluating their leaders, can say, you know what? There are people that we should not follow because they are not teaching God's Word. Why aren't they teaching God's Word? Well, I'm, we're not sure what, uh, what's off in the not teaching, either they're disobeying or their heart is wrong, but either way, it's evil. It's evil teaching. It's false teaching. It's everywhere on the internet. It's all over. It's so many churches, churches that claiming to know Christ, claiming to follow Christ and When they stand before Christ, it's not going to be pretty. So you have to evaluate your spiritual leader's motivations. If you're not sure what motivates us, ask. It's okay to ask. Pastor, it seems like you just want this, or you are thinking this. It's okay to challenge my motives. It's okay to challenge the elders' motives. We're not trying to hide anything here. Trying to be transparent. That's what Paul's here is saying, bringing up their conscience to evaluate him. He's trying to be transparent. And then verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, which is the word out of your mind, it's for God. Well, if they watch Paul and said, Paul, you're crazy. What are you doing that? He's like, you might not understand. I'm doing it for God. And maybe someday they'll understand, but that's okay. I'm doing it for God. That's how you... That's how you uh, talk to immature people or those who need knowledge. It's okay. Um, but if we are in our right mind that the Corinthians can understand what Paul is doing, then it's for you. Okay, so it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not a contradiction here in this verse. It's a little bit challenging to understand. But what he's saying is similar to what he said before about, I'm doing everything for God and you. If you don't understand it, that's okay. Give me the benefit of the doubt. That's what love does in 1 Corinthians 13, right? Gives someone, believes all things. So what is he encouraging the believers there? To trust your spiritual leaders' actions, okay? And I would say trust their motives as well, which he brings up in verse 12 from the heart. All right, so how are we going? What are we going to do with this passage? You hopefully have been given something to think about. What do you need? What does the Holy Spirit put his finger on in your heart that you need to repent of? What do you need? Do you need knowledge? Do you need evaluation? Do you need to stay humble? Do you need discipline? Whatever it is in your life, uh, we need to respond. Why do you need to respond? Why is it a big deal? You're sitting comfortably here right now in air condition. You're going to stand by yourself before a holy God. That's why it matters. That's why Paul, what he told them in 1 Corinthians, when he brought them to this place in 2 Corinthians, is telling them, live to please him. Don't live for yourselves. It really does matter as Christians. It's not just about being a believer, a follower of Christ. Everything's fine. No, keep evaluating, keep learning. Stay humble. So we're gonna pray along these lines. Father, thank you for motivating us. I'll show you these and then I'll pray them. If you need help, and all of us at times have blind spots, we don't even know that we're sinning. We don't even know we're selfish. If you need help evaluating your, your motives, your actions, ask someone, someone who is not you, is going to be much less biased than you are because they're not you. Honey, am I proud? Kids, do you see a very self-centered dad? Friend, my best friend, will you be honest with me? Am I humble when when you have to rebuke me or do I keep making excuses? probably selfishness there needs to be repented of so i'm going to pray and then we'll sing our closing song our father thank you for telling us about the judgment seat of christ help us not to think it's no big deal and it's not going to be that bad help us to realize it's going to be awful if our lives are evil pray that you would help our actions and our heart to be pleasing in your sight. Help us to be willing to listen to godly leaders in our lives, friends, that would help us and love us enough to challenge our actions and to challenge our hearts with why we're doing what we're doing. Give us the humility to listen and to repent and to change and to grow. Give our parents wisdom in how to disciple their children this way. Give those uh, involved in discipleship relationships here wisdom. And I pray for all of us to be willing and transparent with those around us that we don't want to be ashamed at the judgment seat when most of our lives were evil and we wouldn't listen to anyone. Keep us humble. Help us to only do what pleases you. We know this is our Savior. This is how he lived. And this is our heart for ourselves and for those around us. Help our church to be pleasing in your sight as well. You are our rock and our redeemer. And help us to please you. In Christ's name, amen.